Now, if you'd like to have your Bibles open, please, at Psalm 73. We're looking at the whole of the psalm, so we'll be uh, motoring along, and it will be a great help if you've got the scriptures before you. This is a psalm which is about death. It's not about unbelief, but it's about doubt. We know the distinction, and unbelief is described for us, certainly a radical atheism, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, where the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, been understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Now, that very clearly explains that every human being on this earth, it is plain and clear to them of the nature of God. We can't know everything about him, but we can know that God is and that he is eternally powerful. And that's plain and it's clear. And the reason why many human beings don't believe in the existence of God is given to us here. It's because of the human being's ability to suppress the truth. And so human beings made in God's image, yet turning against God and away from God because of our rebellion, then it's possible for human beings to get to that place where they actually deny the existence of God. And the point I want to make is that that is not an intellectual problem. Because in our generation, the whole conversation is on intellect. And we have all these magnificently reasonable people who come and say, hey, look, if there was just enough evidence, I could, I could believe in the existence of God, but there's not just quite enough evidence, you know. And I'm an educated man, and I've thought these things through, and uh, one of the things I'd like to say to God is, hey, why not give us a... No, 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 no. We're not going to be taken in by that, because the real reason is a heart reason. It's rebellion against God, and it's this desire to suppress truth. So, there is such a thing as atheism, But it is a heart problem, but we know that the Bible makes it very clear that if somebody just believes in the existence of God, well, of course, that's not a safe person because we need to believe in the Lord Jesus and uh, we need to be walking with him, born again of the Holy Spirit. So James makes this clear in chapter 2. Show me your faith without deeds. I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So we've got these insights into how God sees the condition of various people. And there are some people who deny the very existence of God completely. There are other people who will acknowledge the existence of God, but actually there's no life change. And John, when he speaks in, um, in his letter, uh, John tells us when he's giving to us assurance in John chapter 1, that what's required to give us confidence that we are really belong to the Lord is a right view of the Lord Jesus, his deity, and the fact that he really is a human being, and an absolute changed life. That's one of the evidences, along with love for brothers and sisters. But that changed life is absolutely necessary because we understand the gospel 
is believing in our heart that God has raised him from the dead and also confessing Jesus as Lord. And it's that confession which brings us under the authority and lordship of the Lord Jesus which causes a changed life through the Holy Spirit being given to us. So we recognise that there are these people in various different uh, places but each of those places, for somebody who has not received the Lord Jesus Christ, then, obviously, they are not classed by Scripture as believers. Now, that's, this, that's where I want to start from, because I want to distinguish between that and this psalm, which is all about doubt, not unbelief. Now, I think that's really important, because if somebody doesn't believe in God... Well, they can't doubt, can they? Doubt doesn't come in. You can't doubt something you don't believe in. And so this is a completely different thing. And this is something that affects Christian people. Because it's in the armory of Satan, who's always after attacking us. And so we have to be aware of his various devices. And we have to have the armour of God to prepare ourselves. And this is a really terrific psalm, which deals with this issue of doubt. And so, how did the psalmist doubts arise? And how do we deal with those doubts? So that's what we've got before us this morning. And the psalmist begins in verse 1, truly believe in something. Surely God is good to Israel. To those who are pure in heart. He's not stating something that he's supposed to believe. That's what he does believe. And so here is a person of faith. We start with that. A person who believes God. Not an unbeliever, but he's believing and trusting God. But he's got a specific problem. It's spelt out for us in verse 2 and 3. But, for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. Why? What was the problem? He envied the arrogant and he saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so his problem was that he was living, I'll bring it in New Testament terms if you don't mind, but he was living his Christian life. And as he lived his Christian life, he observed something. He observed that actually these people around who were godless, who had no faith, then they didn't seem to have the problems that he did. And these people are described from verse 4, uh, right down to verse 12. And uh, he looked and he observed and he sees they don't have many struggles. They seem free from burdens. Even though they're filled with pride and violences in their lives and they have callous hearts and uh, evil conceits and they scoff and they're full of arrogance and yet they're not without friends, verse 10. They seem to have people round about them without these struggles and free from all the problems that I'm having. And they mock, how can God know? They don't seem to be concerned at all by fearing God. And they're forever carefree and they increase in wealth. Have you ever observed that? Have you ever looked around and thought, oh, this is a strange thing. You see, if we don't have an understanding of what God is doing, we can be drawn into all sorts of wrong conclusions, can't we? I always taught uh, adult O-level, that's how long it was ago, I remember O-levels, GCSEs. And uh, I had an adult class, it was absolutely fabulous. And uh, everybody passed, 
Uh, because it was the simplest O-level ever. You do know that, don't you? RE O-level. <laughs> it was. It was. For years, the court on eventually, how ridiculously simple it was. So for years, it was the simplest O-level forever. And they only had one person fail. And that person was a believer. <laughs> and she came to me, distraught. They don't believe and they pass. I believe in God and failed. What's that all about? And what that was all about was she had her own agenda, <laughs> basically. And it wasn't God's agenda. And we're to be careful to recognise what God is doing. And so we can easily be tempted, if we fall into some kind of thought that if I believe in God, and he's the great father, he's my father, he loves me from eternity, and so he's going to sort out everything in my life so that I'll, I'll avoid all pain, all hardship, all financial worries, all worries about jobs and so on. We, we've, we're really making our own agenda. Because God's agenda is to make you like the Lord Jesus above everything else. And that's what you want, isn't it? More than anything else, that's what you want. And so it might actually mean that if we get our own agenda, we're, we're in serious trouble. Because it won't be the same agenda that God has. And you can get yourself into ludicrous places. Like those two disciples after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, where the Lord appears to them and is talking to them, and they're down in the dumps. The depressed, the big sat faces, because their agenda, they had believed that Jesus was the Christ and he would reign, but instead he was crucified. And now the women are saying they've seen him alive. And so they're really down in the dumps and they're actually walking alongside the Lord Jesus Christ after he'd been resurrected fulfilling all that God had planned in this glorious, life-giving uh, resurrection. And they can't see it. Their eyes are blind until the Lord opens their eyes. And so if we get a wrong agenda, we can find ourselves in just ludicrous situations because God's agenda is always, always much better. So that will do us. We'll follow God's agenda and we'll begin and pray that the Lord would lead us into understanding these things. So here's a, a person who's looking around and he's seen all these people are prosperous and he's got this back full of problems because there's a burden that comes with a Christian, isn't it? We, we prayed this morning, um, I, I noticed in our prayer together this morning, uh, we were praying for the children of our land. Because we feel such a heavy burden, don't we? To hear again the government moving things forward and moving things forward now so that people, without any reference to doctors or the NHS or anything like that, can decide what gender they want to be. Okay, so our children, massive pressure on children that they've got to decide all these things. And our burden, because of the light of Scripture, because Jesus is the light and if we walk with him, we are walking... In the light, we're not claiming we know everything, but we do know basic realities and truths. And we're living in a society where it's, it's Alice in Wonderland. People are making up their own reality, which is so far from true. And we can see this, and our eyes are open. We're not claiming to know everything, but we can see very, very clear things. And our hearts are so burdened. We have the truth. We know there's a judgment day. We know there is a heaven. We know the reality of hell. And these burdens upon us, and you look round, and there's your old mates popping out the put for a game of darts. 
Sorry, that might not appeal to you, but it was massively appealing to me. When you just see a normal life, without the hassle, without the bother, without the conviction, without having a burden of truth and walking in the light of that truth, then you look and you say, is this worth it? Being a Christian, with all the hassle that brings, because all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And so we get the problems. And the comparison is, here's a person who is carefree. Oh, that's massively tempting, isn't it? Carefree. Have you ever seen a kid? I'm, I'm talking about a little kid who, who hasn't got the cares of the world on his shoulders. And he skips through a park. I like watching people skip, do you? Do you, do you like that? I love watching people skip because it's sort of carefree, isn't it? You know, if you're burdened and weighed down with problems, you know, you don't see politicians skipping out of the cabinet meeting, do you? <laughs> it just doesn't happen. But when you're carefree, and that is the alternative to this. Now, I don't know if you've been tempted with that. Maybe you haven't. And that's okay. Because doubts come in different ways. This is one specific doubt that the psalmist is telling us about. But doubts come to a Christian uh, in different guises. But I do believe that the answer to this particular doubt is applicable when any doubts come. So if you've got other doubts, which really will prevent you going forward, and if there are doubts which, which are very real, then the first thing that we can see here is let's not panic about that. It is an attack of Satan because we are to be full of faith, but it is not a weakness. It's an attack. And so if we uh, recognize that it's, uh, it, it is uh, an attack of Satan, then we can recognize uh, doubts and really use these times for strengthening, strengthening in our Christian lives. And so that's the great problem. There, there are those carefree. And as he looks at that, the temptation is this. Verse 13 and 14. Oh, all day long I've been plagued and I've just been serving the Lord and seeking to resist temptation. And is it worth it? Verse 15 is massively interesting because he's a believer, which he is, a very mature believer. Because he's a believer, grace is at work. And so he says in verse 15 that if he had simply spoken out where he was now with all these thoughts, is it really worth it? Then really that would have been betraying the children. In other words, grace was at work in that he didn't want to damage other believers. Because he was a believer. And so this was a burden to him. And it shows the maturity of the man that there is grace enough upon him not to just go blab and put out all his doubts to all the congregation and to all the people there so that they might share in his doubts as well. Now there's something in that. And there's something worth noting, because again, our society has an emphasis, hey, just tell it out. 
Okay, whatever's going on there, just tell it out. And Yorkshire people, of course, tell it, tell it as it is. Oh, yeah, famous for that, aren't we? And uh, I can talk about Yorkshire people, because I am a Yorkshire person, and so I can talk about their weaknesses. I can't have any other people, otherwise you end up a racist or something like that. People accuse you of all sorts of horrible things. But I can have Yorkshire people, okay? And one of the problems with Yorkshire people is, yeah, tell it out, how it is, whatever's on your mind, out it comes. That's not a scriptural way. Because it can damage people. It can be harmful. And here is a psalmist who did not write the psalm and close it there. Wouldn't it have been an awful psalm if he'd have finished it at the end of verse 16? It was heavy for him to bear. But he was conscious of other believers. And he had all these doubts. And yet he didn't want to bring other people into these doubts. And so he felt that respect, the responsibility, and I believe that, that that responsibility, that tension, is what he felt as oppression in verse 16. So that's his problem. Right, solution. The second bit. The last bit. How were these doubts overcome? Well, verse 17. I entered the sanctuary of God. He came to worship now, that's very interesting in itself, feeling as he did. Because I don't think he'd have been skipping there, do you? I don't think he'd have been, oh, wonderful. The Lord's Day, come, let's meet with the people of God. I don't think he'd have felt like that at all. And Christians don't always feel like that, do we? Do you? <laughs> because sometimes there can be burdens and doubts and all sorts of problems so that in itself is interesting that he did and um, from a New Testament perspective he went to meet with the Lord's people he went to church now Hebrews 10 verse 24 and 25 is very helpful on this because Hebrews 10 verse 24 is that famous verse. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now that verse is often used and rightly to sort of bring out all the blessings which are ours in meeting together. So it, it damages, it harms a believer if we don't meet together. That's part of how God blesses us, when we meet together. And very often this verse, quite rightly, is used to actually stress we ought to meet together, otherwise we'll be damaged spiritually. But the context of this verse is actually we are not to give up meeting together because we are to encourage each other. And so if there is a believer who just sort of says, oh really, I can't do church, then one of the chief problems is that person showing absolutely no concern whatsoever of fellow believers. Because we are to meet together to encourage each other as we see the day approaching. And so part of our meeting together is to edify and help each other and encourage people, uh, encourage brothers and sisters on this difficult path that we're, we're going on together. And so when we come and when we fellowship and when we seek to encourage, that is an encouragement to the people about. 
And so if a person just says, oh, I can't do church, it's enormously selfish. It's fabulously selfish. They're only thinking about themselves. Oh, I, I can't do it. Because the people there need that encouragement, need that fellowship, need that edification. And so here we have this person who's really absolutely blasted with all these doubts and temptations. Everybody else around about seems to be carefree having this great life. Is this believer absolutely burdened and yet goes to worship and when he goes to worship, that's where the blessing comes because the other part of that verse, verse 17, is then I understood their final destination. And verse 17 to 20 spells it out. It's them that's on slippery ground. And they are heading for absolute ruin. And then in verse 21 and 22, an absolute different view of themselves. Where actually, looking back, I was senseless. I was ignorant. I was a brute beast. What's going on? When he's with the Lord's people, he just recognises something. Because this is where God deals with people. And what's happening is there is shifting of perspective. There is light coming in. There is truth. There is absolute reality. And reality is that these carefree people who marks of arrogance and scoffers and people really who are not God-fearing, then actually they are heading for destruction. There is a judgment day. And so the psalmist is thinking, whatever was I thinking of? Why would I be envious of somebody who is a few months, a few years, a few minutes, maybe a couple of decades, from destruction in the sense of judgment and be cast into hell? Why? Why could I ever be envious of that situation? And it's ridiculous. But of course, that's what temptation does. It blots out things which are absolutely obvious. And so it's interesting that he goes to the judgment. And he goes, these are the people I'm envious of. What am I envious about? Okay. Because I can see that today, when the sun's shining on their new car, and their new relationships, and their lovely children, and everything's going great, it looks so good. But, truth, reality, that's what we're here for. We want truth, we want reality. What is the reality? The reality is that they're heading for a total disaster. And I'm envious of that. And so when he thinks about this, he thinks, whatever I was thinking, this is just ridiculous. What was I thinking? And he describes himself, oh, sorry, a tripwire. <laughs> he describes himself as a brute beast, senseless and ignorant. And so it, it, you can imagine him writing this almost with a smile on his face of irony. How could I have been so stupid? And so he's now saying what is true. And the truth is, verse 23 and 24, that God's always with him. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Afterwards, you will take me into glory. <laughs> Not hell. Not this awful future that these people have who ignore God. 
but you're with me now and you will take me into glory. Reality's clicking in. This is absolute reality, absolute truth. We believe this. Why do we believe it? Because Christ taught it. We know there's a heaven, we know there's a hell because Jesus taught it very clearly. We know there's a judgment day. And we can trust Jesus because he came back from the dead. And because we are in a relationship with him and we know these things are true and so he's amazed as the psalmist. However, could he think such thoughts? And so the dealing with doubt is just to put truth in place, isn't it? Just to put reality and truth and the light of scripture. And now everything's uh, different for him because in the last part, the last few verses of, uh, of the psalm, he confesses, who have I in heaven but you? And on earth, earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And then he reminds himself again, as the, there will be those who will perish. And for him, then we can say from our New Testament perspective that we have the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have him... And we have every spiritual blessing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ, there aren't any blessings outside of him. Okay? It's not like kids who have a box of toys and scatter all the toys. And you've got toys outside the box. Every, every blessing, every eternal spiritual blessing is in Jesus Christ. If we have him, we have every single spiritual blessing. There's no blessing, no eternal blessing anywhere to be found. Not under the city, not anywhere. There's no, there's no eternal blessing outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an incredible thing. It absolutely flies in the face of what people in this world think of fairness. Because it's grace. And that's how it works. To have Christ is to have all spiritual blessings. And so he's completely rearranged his priorities. He's seen what's important. Christ is everything. He's comparing temporary with eternal things and destruction awaits the unfaithful and in verse 28 it is you God who are my refuge and the very last words of the psalm I will tell of your deeds now is the time to write the psalm <laughs> I'm so glad he waited if he'd, have, if he'd have written the psalm earlier on with all his doubts and it had ended at verse 14 it have dragged everybody else into these terrible doubts and people would be looking at it. Oh dear, yeah, I see what you mean. Carefree people and they do seem to be well fed and the bodies are healthy and they don't have the burdens and this would come upon... You know, sometimes we can over-sympathise with people. You know that, don't you? When you see how the Lord Jesus counselled, when you see how the Lord Jesus spoke to people... Sometimes I think he might get sacked from some places. <laughs> because he wasn't the type to put his arms around somebody, was he? Oh, come on, I know. I know. There is a place for that, of course there is. And there's a place for empathy. And the Lord Jesus Christ is our perfect high priest because he understands us and because he cares for us. But sometimes we can step alongside some people and put our arms around them and walk with them into further depression, into further gloom, into further temptation. And that's not our job. We've got to say, let's bring some reality in. Let's bring some light. Okay, yeah, it is hard. I can understand how you feel it is so hard 
when your life is so difficult at the moment and all these people seem so carefree. I understand that. But let's bring some light. Let's bring some truth. Let's bring some reality. They're heading for judgment. They're heading for hell. You're heading for glory. Christ is with you now. He's with you through all your problems. And you have glory which awaits you. And we look for that turning point where it occurs to us. That light floods in so that like the psalmist we can say, whatever we were thinking. What a dumb beast I was. Reality says, I'm heading for glory. Come on. Let's just walk by faith and walk in reality and not listen over much to what the world is saying. Let's turn to the Lord Jesus and look at him. And now he was ready to write his psalm. And I'm very glad he wrote that psalm and I'm very glad he didn't do it when he was first uh, under oppression (laughs) and going through all the temptations without having the answers. So I trust, I don't know whether it's a particular problem you uh, suffer with, we all are attacked different different ways, but um, all of us, surely from time to time, have doubt. And I think this psalm is very helpful. Even if it's not this specific doubt that we have, then I believe that the remedy is a universal remedy with the Lord's people, helping each other, encouraging each other. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for light. So many voices, Lord. So many people with different ideas, different world views. And Father, we're just truly thankful this morning that we have been brought to the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And we recognize that that brings with it a burden because we see how beautiful your world is, but how ruined as well. And now it's heading for destruction and for fire. And Lord, the burden that is with us, help us bear that burden. We don't want it to go away, Lord. We want, Father, to have a compassion for the lost. But we're asking also for wisdom. Wisdom, Lord, to be able to speak truth and bring light into such a dark world. Help us be courageous. And help us, Father, so that we're not harming people and damaging people. We want to help people, Lord, and we realise how easy it is to damage people. We thank you that the psalmist did not just share his doubts because of his concern for others. We thank you for his concern to encourage people along the way. And so, Lord, give us wisdom and grant to us hearts which are set on the Lord Jesus and increasingly love our brothers and sisters. We ask it in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. Amen.